Okay, so Luke 11, and we're making our way through the book of Luke, and uh, very interesting stuff. Remember, Luke's a physician, a doctor. Luke's a doctor. And, and Luke is giving us the universal gospel. I want you to know that. What Luke emphasizes is the humanity of Christ, but he's also telling us that this gospel is not just for one person or the other. It's not for somebody who worship, worships in um, uh, uh, suits and ties and dresses or versus jeans and shorts and flip-flops. All of us can come to the Lord. It's not for that person that lives on that side of the tracks or lives on that side of the tracks. It, it's not for that person who looks a certain way or looks this way. It's for everyone. And it's really touching if you'll connect your heart when you're reading the book of Luke to that message. It's touching. You'll see it throughout, and you're going to see it this morning, hopefully, if I get that far. And isn't that beautiful? In Christ, we're all one. We're all one. How dare us think we're somehow better than that class of people or those people? No, in Christ, there's no distinction. There's no difference. Jesus breaks it up. He crushes it, and Luke wants us to know it. And man, is that an amazing message for this time of our life, where maybe we think we have all the answers politically, or they don't have all the answers politically, or they don't think like us, and these people don't think like us. Well, you're going to see that Jesus just blows that away. So we, last time, talked about this development of the disciples in chapter 10. Here's Jesus who has 12 apostles, but many disciples at this time, many followers. Oh, by the way, many of you in here, or most of you in here, are disciples, followers, learners of the Lord, right? So it applies to you. And one of the things that he says is, hey, I've, he, he doesn't say this, but this is what he's doing. I've been training you now up in the Word of God. Now I'm going to send you out from some practical ministry to uh, apply what you're doing. And in chapter 10, he did that. And he taught them, didn't he? He taught them to travel light in this life. When we're on mission as ambassadors, we're to travel light. That was one point from last week. We're also to remember that we're not to take all, uh, rejection personally. Who here uh, has a problem re getting rejected? Yeah, and feeling personal about it. I do. Uh, in, without the Lord in my life. Of course, right? And he says, listen, people are responsible for what they know. Remember that? So as we share with people about the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be some resistance. And uh, he talks about these impenitent cities who knew uh, who Jesus was uh, and didn't capitalize on it. So we're responsible for what we know. And then the 70 come back with joy. And Jesus talks about them. He said, now, that's wonderful, guys. But remember, don't get too confident in yourself. Without Christ, we can do nothing, the Bible tells us. Right? So don't get too confident in yourself because there was this one, this Satan, this angel, who fell from heaven. 
And he had it all, and he was ministering. And, and so he tells us that story to, to remember to trust him and to reject and not walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. Jesus rejoiced in those spirits, and we talked about that. Then we talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we talked about, uh, there you see the universal gospel, right? Because the Samaritan, a hated person for many in this culture at the time, a Samaritan, somebody from the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak, with the wrong lineage, is the one who is the hero of the story. And so l- the Lord was telling us, there's something different in my economy, and that's what your heart's like. Not who you are or where you've come from, but has your heart been changed by the power of the blood? Oh, it's, it's a beautiful story. And then at the end of that story, we said, what? remember, some believe that Jesus is that Samaritan in this story, that maybe it really happened, that the Levites and the priests walked the other way, but the rejected one, Samaritan, came and helped and uh, tidied him up patched up his wounds, cleaned up the blood. And then we said this, isn't this? We even counseled about this this week. What do we do with people who are bloodied and bruised and beside the side of the road and the Lord's starting to patch up? We bring them to the inn. And this is the inn. This is the inn. So we all have to be on board at the inn. Just because somebody comes in here and didn't dress the same way we did or they've been, they don't have all their theology together yet or they do this or they do that, let's bring them into the inn together, right? And love on them. It's a hospital. Not a mu- it's a hospital for sinners here, not a museum for saints. I, I stole that, by the way. That's not my own. <clears throat> and then Mary and Martha worshiping and serving, all these different things. Jesus teaches us doesn't he? He teaches us uh, uh, to, to stay in his power. He teaches us who a neighbor is. Remember, uh, Jesus' story is, uh, of the Good Samaritan is taking us from a duty to minister to people to a love to serve Jesus while we uh, minister to people. You get it? I want us to know that. And then the final thing is, remember, the first thing is the first thing. And that's to worship and to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, naturally then, as we transition to chapter 11, see, the Lord is going to teach us several life lessons. That's what he does in chapter 11. He teaches us several life lessons. But if we're going to sit at the feet of Jesus, Mary and Martha, that's that story, and glean from him first, well, prayer is an important thing then in the life of the Christian, the everyday life. And Jesus, in chapter 11, transitions to that. So let's read uh, all the way, 1 through uh, 13, and then we'll pray and we'll talk about it. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Hmm. 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, hey, don't trouble me. <laughs> the door is now shut and my children were with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you though, or I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Wow. So let's pray. Well, Lord, uh, help us unpack this and learn about it and grow in it. Help this to be more than just some clinical teaching, but life-impacting Word of God that impacts our hearts and stirs us in 2021 and beyond. Lord, we pray that you would do a mighty work that many souls would come to know you this year. And for that to happen, we're asking that you would bring laborers, laborers and disciples who pray, starting with me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, what a good word. And the first thing I want you to know is this prayer has already been taught to the disciples. Did you know that? Turn with me back to the most famous sermon of the Bible in Matthew 6. This prayer has already been taught to the disciples, and then I'm going to do something unusual. Can you guys bring me those books that are under that coat right there? Matthew 6. I forgot to bring them up. <laughs> Matthew 6. Look over in Matthew 6, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you so much. Uh, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and uh, read, read with me uh, what's called in my Bible and by the heading something that I probably wouldn't call it, but they chose to call it the model prayer. Maybe I'd call it that, but probably what I'd call it is the disciples' prayer. I don't think this is the Lord's prayer, and we all call it the Lord's prayer, including me. I think the Lord's prayer is found in John chapter 17. You can look at that later. I think this is the disciples' prayer, and Jesus in Luke 11 is telling them for the second time at least, you know, there were more times probably, but recorded in Scripture, he's telling them about a model of prayer for the disciples. But the first time he talked about it, at least in the Scriptures, is in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to read something, or read it with me in chapter, or chapter uh, 6, verse 9. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's in Matthew 6. 
about, it depends on what version you have, but about 65 words. If you go over to uh, chapter 11 of the book of Luke, it says, It came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Then he says, When you pray, say this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Around 58 words, which I love. And I hope you love it too. Jesus is trying to teach you there's no formula to prayer. And that's the point of prayer. Listen, here's what I do. I like to read, right? So here, I I just brought you a few of them. Here's like five books in one by Andrew Murray on prayer. I've read it. I'm not trying to brag about reading. I'm trying to bring you a point. Uh, this book right here, Paul Miller, A Praying Life. Oh, man, what an amazing book on prayer. Here's one we picked up last year by Donald Whitney, Praying the Bible. Fantastic and short. You guys might like that. Uh, <clears throat> How to Pray by R.A. Torrey. Oh, my goodness. Amazing. I couldn't find it in my office this morning, but fantastic. And there's millions of them. And then, of course, you got the classics. If you want to bless your heart, man... Go buy this book, The Valley of Vision, uh, which is a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. And I'm not advocating you be formulaic. What I'm saying is, you know what uh, happens to me when I read The Valley of Vision? I say, wow, how God has infused these people with the Holy Spirit and the depth and the breadth of their love in response to God. That's what I read every time I read the Valley of Vision. And I think, if I can do it real quick, oh yeah, on page 75, my favorite, The Deeps. Read The Deeps. If you want that, I could even email it to you. Uh, here's one I didn't know for a long time, uh, but it's a classic. It's a, ma- a method for prayer. Can you believe that these folks put these things together? By Matthew Henry. By Matthew Henry. And it's kind of like the Valley of Vision, but it's his own, uh, own uh, compilation of his prayers to be used for several occasions. Look how thick it is. And uh, he has them all in there. Again, I'm not trying to make you formulaic. I'm just saying that there's billions of resources out there for you to read about prayer. One I didn't mention, but oh, I was talking to Jan about this morning. It's free online. Go read... Ray Stedman's series. It's basically a sermon series on prayer, raystedman.org. It's several of them. It is fantastic. And I forget the name of the book uh, that he compiled them together. I think something from the Father's hand or something. Anyway, that's fantastic. My point is, you could read about prayer all day long. And am I criticizing reading about prayer? I don't think so. But here's what I want you to see. They didn't ask him to teach, him, teach them how to pray. Read it again. Lord, teach us to pray. Because I think, just like Nike would say, the way to learn how to pray really is to just do it. Is to just do it. And if there's one thing that the modern church is lacking in, it's prayer. It's prayer. 
both in our individual lives and in corporate lives. Um, I, I read uh, uh, an account of a missionary, very kind of famous missionary, if that can be a thing, who was in a city with a very popular megachurch. <clears throat> and the bulletin or the whatever said, you know, prayer tonight at 6.30. And the guy who was the missionary designed fellowship and prayer and to pour out his heart before God with the saints showed up at the megachurch, got to the place at 6.30, the only person there at that time was the, the janitor. He was up and down the hall mopping, and the, uh, the missionary said, well, where's the prayer meeting? And the janitor said, looks like you're it. It really had an impact on that missionary. And uh, Jesus is telling us here in a very simple way, listen, a very simple way, I don't think he's against the books. <laughs> but if you'll just read, now I got all these books, but if you just read the disciples' prayer and unpack it, it'll give you everything you need to know about prayer. The first thing, let's look at this. Now, he came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. You know this, right? I hardly have to tell you. But let's just review it just a little bit. Jesus was a man of prayer. He didn't ever give up his rights, or he didn't ever give up his deity. He gave up his rights and privileges to it. He laid aside his deity while he was here on earth. He was in constant contact with the Father. That's Philippians 2. He was in constant contact with the Father, fellowship with the Father, seeking the Father out for his will. And so if you even read uh, just mainly in Luke, he, we know this from chapter 3, verse 21. When it was time for him to get baptized, folks, isn't that interesting? He's never, he never sinned, but he baptized to identify with John, to legitimize the ministry, to, uh, to legitimize baptism, but he didn't need the baptism of the cleansing. He was a, a sinner, but he still prayed says that he prayed in chapter 3, verse 21. The night that he, or the morning that he chose the 12, in chapter 6, verse 12, it says that he stayed up all night, which now is a little bit of a rabbit trail. See, prayer isn't formulaic, but there's patterns and principles to prayer. That's clearly what Jesus is telling you, because remember, they asked him, in a, or he's talked in a sermon, and he gave 65 words. If it was formulaic, I think you would see the next 65 words in Luke. It wasn't. It was 58 words. Jesus was giving patterns and principles to our prayer. But on the night in which he picked the 12, or the night before he picked the 12, do you know that it says he stayed, listen, folks, all night in prayer? He was so enraptured with the Lord God himself, as he entered into prayer to, to talk about a difficult decision, he didn't find it arduous, although as a human it'd be tough to stay up all night just because we're all sleepy sometimes. He didn't find it arduous or a bother or a formula to stay up all night. Why? Because he was committing himself over to his Father. And yet you see one word prayers in the Bible. When the wind and the waves, or, or one phrase words, when the wind and the waves are raging, guess what the, uh, uh, the disciples in the boat say? 
help. And what father, listen folks, what father when their child sincerely called help would say, hey, time out, buddy. You didn't go through the formula. You, I want you to back up now. I know the wind and the waves are there, but you're not going through the formula, so I'm not going to listen. What dad would do that? Nobody. So it can't be a formula. Here's where else he prayed. When the crowds were increasing, in chapter 5, verse 16 of Luke, when the crowds were increasing, he's like, hmm, how should I deal with bigger crowds? Legitimate thing. He prayed about that. Uh, Before he asks for a confession of faith in Luke, he prays from all the disciples. At his transfiguration, when he's about to reveal himself in a deeper way, he prays. In Mark, I've switched books on you, said there were oftentimes that he would go, listen, folks, and pray alone. He would pray alone. Uh, On the cross. (laughs) I don't know about you. But if I was in physical agony, of course, I'm not Jesus, of course, but if I was in physical agony, I'm not sure I'd feel like praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they even do. They, they don't even know what they're doing. If people were backstabbing me to the point of death, no, nah, I probably wouldn't be praying that prayer, if any prayers. Here he's praying on the cross. We find him everywhere, all the time, Staying in prayer. After successful ministry night, he didn't go to BW3s and get wings. He went alone to be with the Lord to get recharged and revamped for the next day and to have resource. Okay, you get the point. He was praying in a certain place when he ceased. And you understand that the first prayer that we call the disciples' prayer or many call the Lord's prayer was in a sermon. This one's not in a sermon. And that's important for you. Because when people who were with him spent time with Jesus, they knew that they knew that they knew that there was something so loving and graceful and truthful and stable and powerful and strong and meek and majestic about this man who was the Messiah that they wanted it to. And they say, well, Lord, Teach us to pray. You know what I would have said because I'm a smart aleck? Didn't you hear the Sermon on the Mount? I told you this once. Why didn't you take the notes? Now, he doesn't do that. He says, well, okay, here's what we're going to do. But first, notice this. John the Baptist was a person of prayer, and he taught his disciples to pray, looking for the coming of the Messiah. Are you catching that? He didn't even have the full story yet. And he was a prayer. And he taught his disciples to pray. And they recognized it. Jesus' disciples recognized that. It was powerful. Prayer is powerful. What could we be doing in 2021 that we're not doing now? Fall in love with prayer. Here Jesus says, well, when you pray, say this. Our Father. Now see, there's so much packed into that verse or that little phrase, our Father. Father. Our Father. What do you need to know? You need to know that he's talking to those, listen to this, who are in the family of God. As many as received him, 
John 1. To them, as many as received him, what? They're counting on the finished work of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. If you've received that, if you've repented and turned and come to the Lord, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That's in John 1. He's not talking to the world, folks. He's talking to us, the followers of Christ. Here, the followers of Christ. And what do we know? What do we know? Unpack it. Unpack all that you know about Father. Well, he gives us the right to become children of God, sons and daughters of the king. You're a son and daughter of the king. You know this, right? I tell this story all the time, but it's so touching. John F. Kennedy Bay of Pigs, Cuban Missile Crisis. Can anything be more intense for a president, a man, or a woman than half them to decide whether we go to war with Russia or not back in those days? Is there anything more intense than that? There can't be. And there were instructions in the Oval Office that only certain people come in this Oval Office while we're making these decisions. Nobody else gets let in. But when little John, who was very little at the time, or Caroline would knock on the door, he stopped everything, gave them a hug, and sent them on their way. i got to tell you, if I would have been born then and knocked on that door and asked to come in, guess what John F.K. and the security would have said? Don't let him in. Those two kids had access, loving access, and that's what you have. And here's why you have it. Because he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He, cons- uh, he, when you confess your sins, Hebrews 10, 17 says this, he uh, remembers them no more. He doesn't count your sins against you. Romans 3, Romans 4, 1 Corinthians 5 tells us That if you'll count on Jesus, he'll impute to you his righteousness so that you have perfect standing with God. Romans uh, 8.15 then says the ultimate. You can now call him daddy. Abba, father, you have a relationship with the biggest one, the creator, the the unique one, the the one of majesty. See, See, when you see father right there, it's packed And it's pregnant with meaning. You now, who once were far off, Gentiles, most of us in here, can come close by the blood. The Bible says that you can come boldly to the throne room of grace. Listen, folks. What we're about ready to talk to means you can come right to his throne room when you need mercy and grace. And when do you need mercy and grace? How often? Always. You can come anytime. Yes. Is it good to be on your knees and pray? Of course. It's showing a bowing. But you don't have to be on your knees. You can bow your head. Yes. And close your eyes. Of course. It shows that you're bowing your heart and head. But you don't have to be praying with a bowed head and heart or bowed eyes. You know what I'm saying. It's always in your heart. You, You can literally be in the car. And you can turn off the talk radio. Please turn off the talk radio. And you can just pour your heart out to the Lord for the whole drive in downtown or wherever you work. And all the way back. 
You don't have to waste the time. You can just spend time with him. But I'm convinced, listen, I'm convinced no one would ever keep that up for a whole year or a whole lifetime unless they're convinced and remember that we're his son or his daughter. Oh, yeah, we kid. We kid, don't we kid? People kid about this. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> it's so great. So if you don't kid about this, well, don't get mad at me. You know, oh, man, as soon as they're 18, they'll be going off to college. Oh, it'll be so great. Yeah, that is true in one sense, I guess. It is nice to see them independent, but isn't it nice when they come back? Oh, and when they come back, here, folks, listen, because they don't have to, and they still come back. Wow. That's father-son, father-daughter stuff. Here, he's saying, our father. I'm convinced you'll never keep up your prayer life unless you know father and all of its implications. Oh, don't skip by our Jesus tells us that when you pray personally, go into your private place of a prayer closet and do your prayers. Don't be showy about them, right? Remember this? But then right here, right now, listen to what Jesus does. He puts you into community prayer. He goes, our Father. Isn't that funny? If I was the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, you know what I'd probably say? Well, he kind of is our father, but I'm numero uno. He says, our father. He puts us right into community. So there is a place for the private, personal, devotional prayer. But there's also a place for community prayer. And you know where it says where two or three are gathered? That's a scripture about prayer. Jesus comes, and he's here, and he's focused, and he's interested in our corporate prayer too. He sits us right down in to our Father in heaven. Well, so what are the principles? The first principles are, I don't think it's formulaic. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's time for prayer. Where's my valley of vision? I can't pray without it. No, 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 no. You got it all wrong. You first recognize that you're in love with a father because he's in love with you. You recognize that, and you recognize there's a place for our personal devotion and our uh, corporate devotion, and he's not only our Father, but he's in heaven. There's only one that we can pray to, through the Son, by the Spirit, God the Father. He's the only one that can do anything or anything or, or everything about our problems, our needs, our thanksgivings. He's the one in heaven. He's big, and he's unique, holy. Hallowed be your name. Do you know what this is saying here? Hallowed, it just means revered, respected, or look, look, treated as holy. Wow. You ever seen those bumper stickers? I hate it, I'm just saying, I hate it. Jesus is my homie. <laughs> Jesus ain't our homie, folks. That's not very reverential, and I'm cool and pretty, not cool, I'm pretty chill about some of this stuff, but. But come on, Jesus ain't our homie. He's the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can we laugh and joke and have fun together? Yes, but he is our Lord and Savior. He paid it all. Hallowed be the name of the Lord. You understand what he's saying right there when he says, hallowed be your name? To 
those in the Old Testament and name divulged their life and character and being and who they were. And so they would name people that way. That flew out the window at our house. That's a joke. We got some strange names. But anyway, <laughs> there are great kids. They're great kids. I don't mean it that way. But we have some names. But right, they would name their kids in a certain way to reflect what was going on inside them. And in fact, do you know this? You know this is that those who know thy name put their trust in thee. That's what one of the Psalms says. Those who know the name of the Lord put their trust in him. So what does it mean when it says, hallowed be your name? Lift up the name of the Lord. What it's saying is, learn the character of God. And when you learn the character of God, you'll fall in love with him. That's the point. It's not a formula. There's some really great prayers at our prayer time. And one particular lady always reminds us to prayer the, pray the attributes of God before we begin, or does pray the attributes of God as we begin. That's a better way of saying it. And what a blessing that is, because we know that in order for us to respect and to rear, we revere and to lift up as holy, we fall in love with the character of God. Isn't that beautiful? Hallowed be your name. That's what we're doing in prayer. We're coming to a father who we recognize won't turn us away. We're sons and daughters, and we recognize it's by the blood. He's the one in heaven. He's unique, and we are to respect and revere his character. And then he says, remember to pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done, your kingdom come. Where is uh, God's kingdom? Anywhere that he is king. For now, it's in our hearts for the uh, believers of Christ. But there's coming a day when his kingdom will actually come to the earth. And we've been talking about that in the book of Revelation. And he's saying here, your will be done. So your kingdom's coming. Remember to pray that. We pray that. We say, say, Lord, we don't maybe say it this way, but that's what we're praying. Spread your kingdom to many people before you come in judgment. We say this, Lord, save many people. Uh, before you come in judgment, and then come quickly, Lord Jesus. But Jesus is holding off so that many more would be saved. Your kingdom come to many hearts. Your kingdom come to the earth. That's packed, and we're praying that. And then your will be done. Your will be done. Listen, how in the world do you pray the will of God if you don't know the will of God? Do you just pray it out? No, no, no. Here's why. I think if you look at John 15, 7, it says, my words abide in you, and I, you know what I remember? You abide in my words. You'll ask what you will, and you'll receive. John 15, 7. So what I'm telling you is that prayer and the word of God go hand in glove. When you're praying in your prayer closets, do you have the word out? Are you thinking on scripture? Does that help to uh, make you pray or have you pray? Yes, because that's where you find the character of God and that's where you discover the will of God because we're praying that God's will would be done. (laughs) What if you pray something like this? I'm making something up ridiculous. Lord, just get that guy. You ever prayed something like that? I have. But the Lord has a little different perspective. The Lord's saying, yeah, but I love that guy, and I want him to come back to me. (laughs) 
Maybe I've put him in your life so that he'll be a tribulation to you, so that you'll develop perseverance and strength and joy and peace, all in the midst of difficult circumstances. But my heart is that that guy gets saved, Jesus says. Well, know the will of God on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, and then give us day by day our daily bread. Now, what does that remind you of in the Bible? It has to remind you of manna. Isn't that the greatest story of all time? Well, there's lots of them, but it's one of the great stories. You know, you're reading that for the first time, when, at least when I was young, I was reading that story, and I think to myself, man, is he mean for not letting them have manna, like, stored up? Why wouldn't you want to have manna stored up for weeks, like, put it in your freezer? Why do you have to just get the manna before the sun uh, comes up, you know, and, and then only get it for one day, and on the sixth day, take twice? Why? Because Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and I want you to come to me every day. Every day. Why? I want you to, because listen, folks, as ambassadors, we travel light. And he says, every day, every single day, I want you to come. I don't like it, do you? When you don't check in with your family each day. Right? Don't you want to check in each day, at least once a day, with your son or your daughter, your wife, don't you? Or your friends or whatever. You check in on them, and here the Lord builds it in. He tells us to come and to ask every day for our daily needs. Come to Him, the bread of life, for our daily needs. You travel light, of course, but come and come and come. Why do you? He just wants to see you. It's so touching. All right. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Doesn't that (laughs) make the hair on the back of your neck stand up? Oh, I do? I didn't know I did. In fact, you know, on the Sermon on the Mount, go back there, Matthew 6. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Go back and look at it yourself. What In verse 14, what will a born-again, spirit-filled Christian do? For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Why? Is that a, a give-to-get type of thing? Is that a work-based theology? No, he's saying that somebody who's transformed by the Spirit of God, based on the death and resurrection of Christ, will be, will be, will be a forgiving person. That's who you'll be. And so here he's, you know, you read it, hopefully like me, and you go, ooh, shoot. Left to my uh, flesh, in my flesh, uh, I don't know about this one. I like all the rest of them or most of them, but this one, hard. You know what he says? Just keep coming to me. Just keep coming. Keep coming. I'll fill you with the love. I'll fill you with humility. I'll fill you, but you got to come. If you're having trouble with a person and you're un- unable to forgive them in a way, what, what would I do for them? Pray for them. You see, you know this famous quote. Many of us believe that our praying is a way to get our will done in heaven. But that ain't prayer. Prayer is getting God's will done on earth. 
He might want to do something in our hearts as we ask that we, uh, everyone, or as we pray, also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation. It's so tempting to tell them to buzz off and I'm never going to talk to you again. Isn't it tempting sometimes? Well, it is for me. But here, uh, by the way, don't think of this word as some seductive temptation. It is that. But it also means challenges. For every challenge of life, help protect us. Including the real dangerous one of being sucked in or tricked by the devil. And what does the devil do? He dresses up or he is an angel of light. He lies to you. He then wants to steal from you. And he ultimately wants to kill you. But one of the things he's going to do is he's going to take God's desires that are good and godly desires and he's going to twist them to make them for his own use. Just look at sex. Sex is a gift from God in the bounds of marriage. And the enemy says, well, you deserve it no matter what. So you go ahead and participate and then ask for forgiveness later. That is a lie from hell. Now, can you have forgiveness? Yes. But the plan of God is is in that way. You could say it for food. You could say it for um, a godly desire to eat. Yes, there's a good way to eat. But you know, if you're having six hot fudge sundaes and cheesesteaks every day, mm, I don't know. And I love hot fudge sundaes, by the way. And you could say it for anything. It could say about how you spend your time. Are you redeeming the time? Etc. Deliver us from the evil one. Help us to have a right perspective. And that's the prayer. And so the prayer could take you, listen to this. Ecclesiastes 5 says, let your words be few. You know that? I don't need to hear you speak in the King James at the corporate prayer language and your King James prayer voice and tell me the story of your, your, you know, your Uncle uh, Ernie's uh, life from 1920 to 1970 and then get on to a prayer about Ann Ethel. Now, we'll be nice about that, but listen, this prayer would take you, what, 10 seconds? Now, is it formulaic? No. If you have something that's heavy on your heart and you're pouring out to the Lord, Jesus just spent time in the presence of the Lord for a whole night for important decisions. But see, it wasn't formulaic. It was out of love. He just spent time with the Father. Is one better than the other? No. It's just what we do out of love. Then he goes on and he says this. This one puzzled me for a long time. Okay, that sounds pretty good. But then he goes on and he says, well, which of you shall have a friend? Some friend, huh? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to see me on his journey. You catching what happened? Here I am at home. My friend comes on a journey. And one of the worst things that could happen in the ancient world, in the Middle East, happened to me. I had no food to be hospitable to them. So I said, oh, gee, you know what? My next-door neighbor, he's always prepared and organized, unlike me. Who laughed over there? And, and, and one of my family laughed. And, and, and so I got up in the middle of the night, and I went to my friend's house 
who was always organized to get some food. That's what's happening here. And what does he do? He says, and I have nothing to set before my friend who's come, so I know he'll answer from within and say, or wait, wait, wait. Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on this journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Okay, now let's explore that for a minute. Uh, William Barclay says that in Palestine, you had mud floors, dirt floors that covered with leaves. And the common area, which was the front area, very small, kind of like think uh, uh, little house on the prairie kind of thing, but a little different because flat roofs. Very sh- uh, small front room where, it was, uh, where you uh, lived, and then there was a little higher platform. You made a platform, and you set some sort of wood sort of stove there up on the one-third of the house platform. And what you did was mom and dad and kids would light the fire and then lay around the stove or the heating, whatever you call it, the fire, right? And uh, once you got that all situated, you ever tried to get kids to fall asleep? You didn't want to get up and move around because if you did, you, waked up, you woke up the whole household. And that's what's happening here. And the people who are hearing it know it. And he says, hey, don't trouble me. The door is shut and my children are with me. I can't rise and give to you. And I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give as many as he needs. Hmm, interesting. He just keeps bugging the neighbor. That's what he does. He keeps bugging the neighbor. Keep reading with me. So I say to you, ask. I always have trouble Remember in this order, but if you just remember, ask, ask, seek, knock. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And here comes the censure, the clincher. Here it is. For everyone who asks, receives. Do you believe that? And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. James, by the way, says, you don't have because you don't ask. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now see, I think you need to know something. I think you need to know what a parable is in order to really understand this. Because right now, you're projecting this neighbor who was in bed onto the father. Well, he's reluctant to give to us. I have to wake him up and keep beating on the house and keep beating on the house and I got to bother him. See, I think you need to know what a parable is. Well, a parable is when you lay something down beside a truth to just pick up one or two truths or one or two spiritual truths. And many times the parable is not, you know, um, doesn't transfer over to spiritual truths. Many times in the Israeli uh, literature, they give contrasting parables. And here you've stumbled upon one. Not stumbled, you've come here by providence. Here you've come to one. You've come to a contrasting parable. Jesus ain't a neighbor. (laughs) He's the Lord of lords and kings of kings. God our Father never sleeps nor slumbers. You never are going to wake him from a sleep. 
Christ was full of grace and truth as he lived out the life and character of God, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was full of perfect grace and truth. When was Jesus grumpy? He never was or is. What this parable is trying to teach you is if you go over and you burden and beat on and beat up and bug the neighbor, you probably, even in the nighttime, will get the loaves of bread or whatever he's asking for, for your company. But you don't serve a God like that. And that's the point. You don't serve a God like that. Many of us come to prayer with this ask. What's it called when it's A-S-K? Acronym. With this acronym. And you're like, oh my goodness, we're going to have to stay here till we beat him up so we can get what we want. Here what Jesus is saying is, this is a contrast. You ask and it will be given to you. You ask and it will be given to you. Over in Luke 18, by the way, around verse 7, 6, 7, 8, right in that range, it says when you ask, listen, God will give speedily. And many of us don't believe it. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Here's why. Why am I confident that this is a contrasting parable? Well, I've given you some of the reasons, but also because we serve a good dad. <laughs> I mean the best. He, listen, whatever you receive from the Lord, it's the best for you. <laughs> whatever you've received from the Lord is the best for you. I'm going to say it again. Whatever you've received from the Lord is the best for you. And sometimes he has to tell you you're on the wrong path with that prayer. Here he says, if you ask, receive, seek, find. And if a son asks for bread from any father, won't you give him a stone? Or would you give him a stone? Of course you wouldn't give him a stone. Or if you ask for a fish, would you give him a serpent? No. Or an egg, would you give him a scorpion? No. If then, us, people who live out our lives as sinners who need the grace of God, would know, even, even outside the family of God, would know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Here's something I think you should write down. We never should be afraid of any answer that God gives. Write that down. Think about it this week. We never should be afraid of any answer that God gives. None of them. Why? Because he has our best interest at heart. Here, I'm going to read you a couple quotes that I think really uh, uh, solidify what we're talking about here today. Warren Wearsby talks about uh, this, this uh, portion of Scripture and, and any persistence uh, that happens. This persistence is not to get God to change his mind, in parentheses he writes, thy will be done, but to get, to a, get us to the place where, we can tr where he can trust us with the answer. Now that I've botched that, let me read it again. 
Any persistence is not to get God to change his mind, thy will be done, but to get us to the place where God can trust us with the answer. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, how about this one? By a a fellow by the name of Phillips Brooks. Prayer, if you want this quote, you're going to want this quote. Prayer is not, if you do, call Kelly. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Oh my, you kidding me? Prayer, that's how I thought about prayer for a long time. Eh, I don't know. Should I really ask this? Bible College in West Elizabeth, and we don't even have a place. I don't even know. How would we do it? We don't even have any teachers. Oh, for that matter, we don't have any students. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but it's laying hold of his highest willingness. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his highest willingness, Phillips Brooks. We never are to be afraid of God's answers. So what am I saying here? What are we saying? What is Jesus saying to us here as he's telling us about this prayer? A prayer life is developed out of a love life. A love for God, because he, but why? Because he loves you. And in order for you to develop that prayer life, I'm convinced you must know the scriptures and the theology that God is our Father. He tells us in a pattern here, put this pattern down, and use this pattern, but don't be beholden to 58 words or 65 words or the valley of the vision. No, no, no. Spend time with a loving father like you would with any loving father. Come to him for everything. I'll close with just a couple scriptures. Uh, there's a million of them I could read to you. But this is one uh, I'll read to you. You'll write it down. Many of you know it. Ephesians 6.18. What are we to be doing as followers of Christ? Here's the will of God for your life. I know it because I read it, and so do you. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Prayer, prayer, just worship, pouring out your heart to God. Prayer, just talking to the Lord. But then supplication, asking for needs, supplies. Okay to do it. How? In the Spirit. Being watchful to this end. With all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Pray for others. Stand in the gap for others. What else? Well, turn over to 1 Timothy 2.1. Go there. I have to look this one up. It just came to me. <laughs> I hope it's there. What does Paul say to Timothy? What is a young pastor to get uh, to, to say to and to model for his church? I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions of give, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And then he goes on and talks about the kings and authorities. But listen, what can we do in prayer? Well, we pray. We pour out our hearts to God. That's prayer. We worship him. We tell him who he is in in light of who we are. We ask for supplies. We stand in the gap. That's intercession. And then, again, there's a couple people in our prayer group. They're so wonderful at this. And giving of thanks. Remembering to always give thanks in all things. Now, we could go on 
for a month of Sundays or even six months of Sundays about prayer. I have tons of scriptures about it. But we won't do that. (laughs) What I'm leaving you with is a challenge, but a challenge of love. Not a challenge of duty. If you get out of this duty, I've failed. A challenge of love to spend time with your father in 2021. Do you know this? R.A. Torrey said this. Jesus prayed early in the morning. Well, here's what you say. Do I have to do it in the morning? Do I have to do it at night? R.A. Torrey points this out. Jesus prayed early in the morning as well as night. Do I have to pray only when great events come, or do, what about if I have a boring life? Well, R.A. Torrey says Jesus prayed both before and, and commenting on his life and after the great events of his life. Well, what about if I'm, I have a real busy schedule at work and that he prayed especially when life was unusually busy? If Jesus needed to do it, we need to do it, but I only think we do it out of a heart of love.